the sermon day. We talked this morning about the fact that in Matthew, the fifth chapter, the Sermon on the Mount, that, and if you will, be going ahead, be open your Bibles there. We'll look at some things about the entire sermon tonight. And, and it's 852 and 53 in the Bible that's in your pew. And we talked about the fact that immediately as we go into verse 13 and 14, the teaching is that we are all to be salt to the earth. And then we also talk that we are to be light to the world. And it's interesting that both of those, the, the plea in the scriptures as we study this morning is to be a very strong plea that we are not to be one with the world. And so as separate as we are to be to the world, still the fact is we are to have contact with the world. We are to have influence upon the world. And so in the sermon that Jesus gave, it really is a powerful and challenging beginning. And as we have that impact, of course, what we want to do as we did this afternoon is to do our good deeds so that men will see them and glorify the Father which is in heaven. And that's really a restriction that the Lord places upon our work. Why do you do what you do? If it's so that you can receive self-glorification, you don't need to be involved in that. And we need to, to humble ourselves. We need to make our heart right. We need to have the right motives. And then we need to get to work for the Lord's kingdom. Now, as we, as we think about the Sermon on the Mount as a broader sense, I'd like for you to drop back to the fifth chapter. And what I'd like for us to do is, is look to see how this sermon begins. It's very sim- simple in its beginning or if it's in introduction. Look, if you will, Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse one and two. And seeing the multitudes... He went up into the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Why did he see the multitudes? You see, by this time, we are learning that Jesus as the king, Jesus as a preacher, Jesus is gaining tremendous popularity. If you have your Bible open, just look back the last few verses in the fourth chapter. This will kind of give us an awareness of why the Sermon on the Mount begins with the words we just read about the multitudes following him. Look there in 24. Then his fame went throughout all Syria. And, and because of the healing that he did that's mentioned there in 24. And look in 25. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond Jordan. And if in your mind, or if you want to flip over to the back of your Bible, and, and, and if you can see a map in your mind, it is amazing the area, the territory that is covered in that list. Jesus' fame was he literally now was pulling from Jerusalem area? Well, those are the ones that they thought that nothing good could come from Nazareth, nothing good could come from someone of Galilee, but they were starting to believe different. Jesus was having a powerful impact. And so when we think of that kind of fame, then we read the fifth chapter in verse 1 where it says, and seeing the multitudes, that kind of opens our eyes. There may have been thousands upon thousands that had been following him, and they gathered, and notice, he sat down. Now tonight, you would think it would be very, very unusual if I walked before you tonight and without saying anything, I just sat down and I started speaking. Some would probably even say, that's a little bit disrespectful. In their culture, that was the sign of authority. A great rabbi or a great teacher would come before the crowd, and, or even if it was a small class, and he would always sit down. And there were times where even the audience would stand to show that the one teaching was truly the one with authority. 
And so Jesus here is following the protocol of one who is truly gaining the utmost respect of those that are following him. Now, when we see verse 2, you might say, well, that's just kind of common sense. He opened his mouth and taught them saying, but have you ever thought, why does it say it that way? Why is it recorded? He opened his mouth and taught them saying, that would have meant something in Jewish writings. To be able to say that a teacher opened his mouth and taught them was another way of saying, this man had authority over the crowd, and notice, they were willing to learn from him. This was not the first time this kind of language would have been written. Literally, Matthew is copying here what would have been some of the utmost respected phrases of authority. You see, this Sermon on the Mount, it begins with all of the setting communicating to us Everybody was listening. Everybody respected what this man had to say. Now on this next slide, I'd like for you to notice we have just a brief outline. And by the way, you can look in various commentaries and you can find a lot of great outlines of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not suggesting to you that that it's got to be forced into this outline or it's not the best outline. But I always love to see how various writers will outline a study of a chapter or a study of chapters because it helps me understand it better. And so this is one of the most simple ones that I've seen. And so I would like for us to just think about this for a moment. We just looked at the first few verses of introduction, but this is three chapters long and we're having a shortened sermon tonight. So we've got to put this in real simple three phrases. How would you describe the Sermon on the Mount in three phrases? In the fifth chapter, one through 16, you see that the characteristics of the subjects are described. By the way, if you back up to what we already referred to in the fourth chapter, the last paragraph of the fourth chapter, that's the characteristics of the king. The king was already gaining great popularity and authority. And then we go into the Sermon on the Mount and we have the characteristics of the subjects of the kingdom. Well, that's us. We want to be subjects of the kingdom. How are we to live? We're to live with the Beatitudes. How are we to live? We're to live like salt. We're to live like like light. And then we have characteristics of the law. If you have your Bible open, just start scanning there in the fifth chapter in 21. I'll just mention some of of the paragraph headings. In, In verse 21, he deals with murder and with anger. And in 27, he deals with lust and adultery. And in 31 and 32, he deals with marriage and divorce. And in 33, he deals with swearing oaths. And in 38, he talks about going the extra mile and 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 even... Uh, bearing long and forbearing with others. And in 43, he gives some very strong laws about how we are to love our enemies and bless them that curse you and etc. And then we go into the sixth chapter and he gives some very serious teachings about motives. Why are you praying? Why are you doing good deeds? Why are you fasting? And then in 19 through 34, and, and sometimes I think, We read portions of 19 through 34 and we forget that 19 through 34 is all about our earthly possessions and money. And so here's an entire section in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that's dealing with teaching. It's dealing with law of how we are to approach 
and attitude and how we are to use all of the possessions that God gives us. The seventh chapter, beginning in verses 1 through 5 and and 6, we have dealing with judgment. And a lot of people will take the first few verses there in the seventh chapter and say, see, the Bible teaches we're not to judge, and that's just completely false. The Bible teaches us we are to judge, and he teaches us how that judgment is to be done. And then in 7 through 11, he teaches us the laws about how we are to give and to be, I'm sorry, how we are to seek. And how we're to seek God and, and knock and, and find God. He is meant to be found. And then, by the way, if, if you have forgotten this, you want to file this away, it's real important. The 7th chapter and verse 12 finishes this section. And that's what we oftentimes call the golden rule. Here it reads, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And then the closing of the Sermon on the Mount deals with three twos. There's only two ways that you can walk. One is a way that's narrow and leads to heaven, and one is broad and leads to hell. There's only two types of fruit that trees bear, and all of us are some kind of tree. You either bear good fruit, or you bear wicked or bad fruit. There's only two foundations in which we can build our life. There's the rock of Jesus Christ, or it's the shifting sand that will always lead to destruction. And friends, that is literally the invitation, if you will. That's the close of the Sermon on the Mount. Before we leave that, I'd like to just take your eyes to how powerful and, and with what authority Jesus spoke in the seventh chapter. Look at verse 24. Seventh chapter, verse 24. Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. Now, I want you to pretend for just a moment that you were one of the ones in the multitude that day and you hadn't heard about Jesus like maybe some of the others that heard about Jesus. You saw a multitude following Jesus and you thought to yourself, where's everybody going? I want to go hear this guy. And so you follow a multitude into a mountain and this man begins to stand up and preach. Do you hear the authority he's speaking with? Look at that again. If you hear these sayings of mine and do them, you'll be a wise man. Friends, as we move this lesson to a close, I I want us all to be humbled, to be refreshed, to renew our commitment, that says, Lord, I recognize that everything you say, I must heed my life to it. And Lord, I recognize if I don't, I'm building my life on sand and I am a foolish person. Lord, I recognize that everything you say, that's the whole teaching of the wise man builds his house upon the rock and the foolish man builds it on sand. That whole premise is built upon this. Are you going to hear my sayings and do it? And so now we're back to this. We're that stranger that walks up to hear Jesus and we walk away understanding this. That man thinks that he ought to be the master of my life. And tonight we simply ask that question. Do you believe he ought to be the master of your life?
Surely, surely all of us here tonight would agree with that. He's given the proof. We can achieve spiritual greatness, but it's only when we build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus' teaching. I don't necessarily have to like everything Jesus teaches. I don't even have to necessarily like all the results of what Jesus teaches. What I need to be willing to say this evening is, I believe if Jesus teaches it, it's true, and I'm doing it. That's when we know He's our Master. When I start evaluating, well, let me see how this is going to turn out. When I start evaluating, well, I don't know if I ought to set it that way. We're no longer living by faith then. We're living by sight. And Jesus is not our master. Most of you here would know the Sermon on the Mount pretty well. There's nothing simple about living the Sermon on the Mount. If you and I could live that, we would be pretty close to perfect. And he closes that sermon by saying, hear these sayings of mine and do them. Tonight, if you realize that your life is in conflict with God, we extend the Lord's invitation to give you an opportunity to resolve that. It's been a wonderful day in the life of this congregation. And what better way to close this day by being able to pray for a brother or sister or or to see someone come and, and to become a brother and a sister and immersed into Christ. And if we can help you in any way with any kind of decision or encouragement, come as we stand and as we sing.